What's up, all you beautiful people? Happy Wednesday, November 9th. It's your boy Hobart coming to you with the freshest of episodes of the Bartcast. That's right. Today we got a very special guest uh, on the episode. Um, he's a recent friend. Actually, we found out that we've known each other for years. I love it when that happens. Um, this, this is none other than the great BC, uh, who is a very talented artist. You can find him on Instagram at BC Music. Uh, he's from Lagos, Nigeria. And we discovered in talking, I, I met I met BC a couple weeks ago shooting a, an event that he was performing at, at this really cool event space in San Francisco called Shack 15. And we started talking after his set and just, it was just one of those instant connections where you're like, Oh, we're going to be friends. Um, and I asked him to come on the podcast and he was open to it. And, uh, I'm really stoked on this, how this conversation came out. I felt like we just got to some really interesting and deep places. Uh, and, it was really cool to hear a bit of his story and to share some philosophy. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was one of those episodes that reminds me like why I got into this, why I do this, uh, left with a big old smile on my face and, uh, and a new friend. Um, but we, we've, we discovered in preparing for the episode that actually, uh, BC was part of the, I believe IEEC at San Francisco state university at the same time that I was, uh, for those of you who don't know, I went to SFSU and I was engaged with the Inter international students program there. And we actually put it together that, uh, you know, I, I was throwing some parties back then in college and used to have a bunch of international uh, students come in and party at my house. And we've kind of figured out that he was at one of those parties. So um, I, I think I had tour on a couple episodes ago, he knows tour. There was a cool little connection there. Uh, and, and so that was pretty sweet, uh, from an earlier chapter, but yeah, BC super passionate artist, uh, really forward thinker and has been doing a lot of work lately connecting his work as an artist uh, and a creator into the web three space, um, working with, uh, you know, different tech companies to, not only market himself, but to build and reinforce these platforms that are allowing artists uh, more autonomy and more options in, you know, building an income stream for themselves. Uh, he's partnered with this company, Drop Station. I actually just watched an uh, Instagram live video of him talking about it. That was, it's, it's really cool stuff they're doing. I think I encourage everyone to go check that out. I know I have a lot of artist friends who are trying to figure out how to survive in this fast paced world. But, uh, but yeah, genuinely enjoyed this, this episode and, and really stoked to have him on. So thank you so much BC for coming on. Uh, without further ado, let me introduce to you, my friend BC Obiteru on this episode 59 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. The water, yo. The water's on our side, yo. We're running with the water. It's the best.
Busy, what's up, man? Welcome to the Bartcast. Oh, Bart, so nice to be here, man. We did it, baby. We did it. Third <laughs> time is the try. <laughs> we had to cross this bridge here three times to, to get here in the studio, but now we're in lovely San Francisco. Hey, look at where we ended up. It was worth it, you mm. know? This I've, is this is better than my studio. This this is this is the thing I'm learning about life, Hobart. If you don't rush things and you just let things happen the way they are, as far as the intention and is pure, like mm-hmm. you want to do it. But if the universe resists it, just just go with it because look at where we ended up and this is pretty pretty nice. It's pretty sweet. You I'm know, not going to complain. In the words of Dr. Malcolm from Jurassic Park. Okay. Life finds a way. Yes. You know? <laughs> I don't even remember that movie as much, but you seem like you've got a um, encyclopedic mind, which is great. There's like two authors that I I know that I can like recite everything they say and then Movies, yeah, movies are emotional learning for me. <laughs> I love that. You should put that on an NFT t <laughs> Movies are emotional learning. That's As a cinephile, I'm a huge movie guy, so that, that really works. Yeah, I mean, I recently went back and watched Jurassic Park again because I listened to the audiobooks. Okay. Last, like, a couple months ago. Okay. And the first one is so good. It's like a... I didn't even know they had books on jurassic it was Park. a book first michael crichton wrote it oh, wow so it's, a, it's all right it's you know i think that it's one of those cases where the book was good but the movie really like you uh, know steven spielberg john williams score they really knocked it out of the park but it's an interesting book because you know it was written in like i think 88 or 89 okay and, that's a good time yeah and it takes place in in costa rica where i went last year so that was relevant okay and then the other half of the book is talking about silicon valley oh in the 90s in like the early, late, yeah. the late yeah. 80s and biotech right and it explores a lot of the ethics of you know biotech and where silicon valley is headed right uh, i ask those questions all the time especially being here in san francisco right like yeah. like one of the projects i'm working on right now is at consider like we're considering that conversation of like you know what like look at the unintended consequence of social media mm-hmm. and what does that mean um particularly one of the questions i spend a lot of time thinking about is we are in the technological age. That means that every kid that's growing up today is going to have some job that is in the tech space or another. But in order to be in the tech space, we want to introduce them to these amazing technologies very early, but very early creates very addictive right. um, behaviors. Uh, so where is the balance in continue to develop these apps and understanding what they do mm-hmm. to our brains and our bodies and our social fabric and how can we kind of design them better based on those observations. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that, and it's kind of interesting. Now maybe I should go read this book <laughs> because I didn't know Jurassic Park was a book, to be honest. Yeah, man, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's sci-fi, which drew me in. Oh, know. it's like sci-fi. As soon as it's sci-fi, you're, yeah. you're in? I, I'm a big sci-fi geek. Oh, this... <laughs> I like to escape this world into another one. Oh, this um, is great. We're going to... We, dude, we, we can dream up many other worlds, man. <laughs> That's course. the whole thing with Web3 and, oh, yeah. and stuff. This is going to be a great conversation. Yeah. But I get you. I, I think about that a lot, especially as a content creator like yourself. I'm always thinking about 
what is like what is the footprint that I'm leaving by mm. making my art in this digital space? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I look at these platforms like TikTok and even now with Instagram Reels, and I'm always asking, what is this doing to our attention span? Is that you know, I'm seeing more and more like it's kind of a shortening of the t attention span. With yeah, where I think we're pretty much like goldfish at this point. Yeah, right? and so like based on the data, <laughs> you know, what I articulated for myself in my efforts creating art in this digital space, I'm trying to be like the, like the small mom and pop hole in the wall organic natural food store. Mm -hmm of the digital realm oh wow you know, like, yeah i don't want to be whole foods i want to be you know yeah, that's very interesting the, so the as a content as so you're saying <laughs> as a content creator you bring this learning and you're like well you could watch this content but even your podcast is long form right which yeah. is helpful according to the data on mm -hmm. training yourself to be able to to focus longer right yeah. so so doing more long form essays and long form content is is yeah i like that description that's that's really great I think it helps. And one of the things that I've really learned because, you know, this podcast started as audio only. Okay. I think the first 40 something episodes uh, were just audio. Okay. And even though I was already a videographer when I started this podcast, I was very slow to integrate the video <clears throat> aspect. And now I love it. Like it's an essential part of it. But mm -hmm. in the beginning, one of the things I realized was that humans, we have such a shorter attention span for video than we do for audio. Like, Interesting. I can sit back and listen to a four-hour podcast. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. You know, and it's not, I'll break it up into, into chunks or I'll spend a whole day doing chores. Yeah. But as soon as I'm watching something, uh, my attention span shrinks. And I think that for a lot of people, I've noticed there is this difference in how you ingest content when it is purely in the audio realm versus when there's a video asset attached to it. So it's very interesting that you that's an interesting observation because I do the same. I listen to I'm listening to books all the time. Like mm -hmm. when I wake up, I go to the gym, I'm listening to books. I love KQED. I sometimes just like, you know, listen to old plays of that. Um, but and but I've never no I'd, I'd never paid attention to how my attention span is when I watch video. But now that you highlight it, I know that like video seems to be something that I put on, yeah. Like as, like when I'm like doing something else, it's like multitasking. It's mm. like I'm watching video Videos. and doing something. So yeah. yes, in in the, in the way that you just pointed it out, it's like hmm, that's interesting because of course I miss snippets of it and maybe have to play it back. But, um, yeah, it's just an interesting, um, observation. Like, do you find that it's different when you like, cause a lot of times for me, audio, I think one of the genius parts of podcasting growing up into a new art form of itself is the fact that it is almost by design something to be done while you're doing something else. Right. Like yeah. Commuting has changed. Yeah. Uh, you know, indefinitely or, you know, fundamentally yeah. now that you can listen, you can put your mind essentially somewhere else Yeah. while you're going through any potentially unpleasant experience. Right? Yeah. That's I got to actually... ride the train. I can send my brain out to a conversation a thousand miles away. Right? Yeah. It's so funny because 
I was just making that statement without observing the fact that I was saying that I do the same thing that I do while listening to audio while doing video. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, in the sense that, yeah, I'm like at the gym listening to books. I'm driving listening to uh, KQED. Um, yeah, there's never one time when I'm listening to something in my ear where it's just like just staying. But I think maybe what triggered that that you know subconscious um, mistake is that when I listened to this podcast called On Being by Krista Tippett, mm-hmm. and On Being she talks about how we are not good at being in conversation with each other, and that when people are, um, and I'm going to tie it back to your point on like video. So she's she's talking about how quickly we're waiting and almost ready to respond. And she's asking, like, in the, similarly to the conversation we're having, is, like, are we doing conversations well? Like, are we listening to each other, right? And she really highlights listening as, like, a big part of a conversation with humans. Yeah. And then she brings in this data of, like, most of the time, the amount of time that it takes for people to respond doesn't, doesn't like, align with, if you're truly listening, ah. if that's how quickly you would be responding so that our conversations can be slower. So now that you say that, it's making me think that I notice that the moments in the movie where I get l- disconnected is moments where it doesn't feel like, again, I'm learning something about people's emotions. Mm. It might feel like, oh, it's like an argument time or some some kind of like, weird moment where I feel like, oh, this is unnecessary. I can skip this. Or, like, I can look away. I'm not going to miss something. It's almost like my brain fills in what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and and I think it's that visual thing that I'm connecting to my inability to connect with, uh, with you know, or to stay connected Character. to certain, yeah, to certain moments in movies. But I will observe for that m- moving forward. You know, <laughs> it's, you know I, I like to observe myself. We We often, you know, have positive bias. So, like, People think they're really better drivers than than they are. Mm-hmm. Like so, I'm always very cautious about my positive bias. No, bro. <laughs> I'm the best listener. <laughs> I mean, you, you're so good. You started a podcast about it. <laughs> I feel you though. Like active listening is a skill unto itself. And you know, I studied communication. We both went to SF State. Yep. And that's almost on day one. Was you know, I remember my professor being like. Most of communication is listening. Mm. If you actually want to communicate, I mean, so many of us uh, fall into this subconscious state of forming our next idea mm-hmm. while the other person's talking. I myself am guilty of it. Part of this podcast is a practice for me in listening, in communication, being mm-hmm. someone who's like kind of obsessed with it. Right. I. I even do it on the podcast where I'm like, oh, I got this great point, like preloaded. And meanwhile, the other person is like talking and giving me gold, you know. <laughs> then I go back in the edit room and I'm looking at the conversation. I'm like, oh, man, they had mm. such a cool idea to explore. But I already had what I was going to say in mind. And we, yeah. I missed an opportunity there. And I think that for me, part of this art form is like a way to explore creating content, but it's also like I'm putting it out there to the viewers. Like everybody's seeing my mistakes. So it's one of the first things I noticed when mm. I did this podcast, I had this episode where I talked like way too much. Mm. I was nervous. I didn't listen. And I'll tell you one thing. If there's one thing that'll make you like 
incredibly uncomfortable. It's putting out an episode where you're like taking up all the air in the room and it's like me, me. You know, it's like, this is my podcast, but lesson learned, yeah, right? It's a humbling thing. I mean, I can relate to that. You know, when you're, you know, when you're a recording artist, and I think that, you know, it's the same, you're going down the same learning, right? Like as a recording artist, you start recording yourself little by little. Mm-hmm. You hear your voice. You're like, oh, my God, this is what I sound yeah. like. <laughs> and and then there's that intimidation. You know, some people never go back for another four years. Right. They're like, I can't do this. Because it's it's that, like this moment where you get to observe yourself and you can see everything. And it's even worse for you because while people are like listening to it and you know, maybe they're like from the other eye, like your brother or your mom. They, they're like, oh, wow, you put a lot of effort into this. So they're not, but for you, you're like, you're seeing every mistake. You're seeing your mouth movements. You're just like not about it, right? Mm-hmm. But but like you rightfully pointed out, it's like part of the learning. I don't think my singing would have evolved if I didn't get into the recording space, Yeah, you know? And when I, I, when I think about when I first moved here, bought a guitar and just how much every of my roommate will laugh at me because you know i was learning beautiful brown eyes on the high e which Mm. was just terrible sounding when (laughs) i didn't care about tuning and then and 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 and, you know fast forward to being a street performer here in san francisco and realizing that the evolution of the art is being able to like kind of document yourself and see where there's a mistake. It's very humbling. It's like, you can avoid it, right? Because live, there's a lot of excitement. But when you go to the recording, whew, it's brutal. It's brutal. So, yeah. you know, so like for, you know, I think the, for artists, creators, when we come into this space of um, trying to put something out, out there, there's something really humbling about that. But it is the journey as a, as a uh, listener who's learning um, because whether you're jamming, whether you're recording people, whether you're trying to like evolve the composition, it's all really rests on that skill set of listening. Like that's that's how you get better mm-hmm. in 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 our in our um, in our you know talent in our creation. It's like it's about it's really I, I think most things in life, but I think when it comes down to music and and the arts or podcasting um movies you know i think ultimately a good story is something that for both people the person who's telling and the person who's listening transforms them and evolves the conversation and all of that is about giving and receiving right but the receiving being the transformative piece like when i'm talking i'm not receiving Mm -hmm. it's when we're receiving that the transformation starts to happen. Right. And so we need to give space for that. Totally. Yeah. That, that's beautiful. Beautifully said. I think it's interesting as you were talking about that, it, it brought into my mind this phenomenon that I think exists, uh, especially in music and, f- you know, for artists with large, you know, uh, platforms or large fan bases, you know, there's this phenomenon that happens where you have, people listening to your art, to your creation, they're listening to that conversation that you just described, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And identifying with it, you know, through your music. I'm sure you encounter this. You meet people who know you first through your music, Mm. and then you meet them for the first time, and they're like, but I already know you. 
Mm. I've spent mm. hours listening to your music, so I feel like, you know, it's like there's all this built-up relationship already right. through your art. And then as the performer, I know, like, a lot of my friends who are artists who have platforms, they've had to learn a secondary skill set of, like, how do I uh, deal with sometimes a lot of energy mm. coming from a fan or someone who's built up this very refined image of who I am through my music but I'm coming in fresh. I don't know anything about them, right? So it's this kind of uneven dynamic. Yeah. I'm curious if you ever have that experience, how you manage that. Let me tell you a really good story. I have a great story about this. So this summer, we were in New Jersey. So flying from Vermont, New Jersey, to New York, and then back to San Francisco. So the flight got delayed. You know, a lot of airlines, this, um, <laughs> a lot of airlines were not prepared for everyone to just be back. I see in the moment as I'm walking back, I spot one of my favorite heroes, Masego. Masego is in the corner of my eye, and I'm like, oh my God, is that Masego? I'm going to go talk Who's to Masego, him. Who's Masego, just for context? Ma- Masego is this amazing loop artist. He has a very, I think, the popular song is Tadao with FKJ. Um, half Jamaican, half white, like, he's, he's amazing. He's from Detroit, I think. Um, uh, yeah, don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, but anyways, I see him in the corner. Um, the last time I saw him was, like, probably lightning in the bottle. He's jumping on stage. I, basically, I love this guy. I love loop, loop artists. I used to, you know, dub FX, Ed Sheeran, anyone who can loop, to me has this other spirit where the music is where they start. Like, I feel like in order to be a loop artist, music is, like, in your brain all the time. Anyways, segue. I see Masego. I walk up to him. I'm like, Masego, are you Masego? He's like, yes. I was like, can I take a photo? He's like, no. <laughs> he's like, he's like, we, we're just right here. Like, let's have a conversation. And wow. I, in that moment, I was just like, oh, my God, he's right. I just walked up to him. Perfect image. Let's get a photo uh-huh. because that's what you do when you see a perfect image. And right. he's like, no, we're right here. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. And that brought me back to, to earth. I came back down and I was like, oh, my God. Hey, Masego. He's like, tell me about you. And I was like, dude, like, I'm a musician. He's like, what? Like, and then, you know, he's like, Send, give me a playlist. My flight is delayed. So I'm about to be, I'm heading out to Lisbon. We ended up talking about, like, you know, looking for home because I told him I'm heading back to San Francisco. That's my home. And he was like, San Francisco is your home. I'm like, yeah, I'm from Nigeria, but I've lived here long enough now. Like, I really f- call it my home. So it ended up being, like, such a different conversation mm-hmm. than it would have been. Like, I would have that, – that, that, that's going back to that social behavior, yeah. right? Like, I'm like, oh – Cool person. He probably doesn't have time for me. I'm going to be polite and take a picture. And it, the intention was completely different. He's like, oh, no, like, don't take a picture. Talk to me. Like, that's, that's what I want. So that's, that, you know, that's really beautiful. And I think in my experience, I think just naturally I love people. So if someone comes up to me, I'm generally going to be like, what's up? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just like, I just get so energized by meeting people. But one of the things that is really funny around some of the good friends that I know, they, they always tell me this. They say, 
sometimes just smiling and taking the picture is like good enough, you know? And, and I can relate. Like when I was doing touring, like from Chicago, Boston, all the way to DC, there's a, there's a piece of it where you're like, oh, like this person has come here with an intention and you don't want to break that, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like a kid in a candy store. You don't, you, like, right. you want them to just have that experience so that they can role, have it. You have this role as the, yeah. the big capital A artist. To yeah, fulfill, right? exactly. It's their movie. I've been cast. <laughs> and I just, you know, I just play the role. Be their and, hero. Yeah. yeah. I, I, or, yeah, whatever it is. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I've had, like, sometimes when you're touring or not, like, one of the things that I would say I love about performing is if I can be prepared enough to just give up myself to where people can relate. And what happens when that magic really gets sparked is that the conversations or the pieces of people that they reveal to you, priceless, right? So, like, I have a story of, I think we were performing, I want to say it was in Boston. My friend Brian Allison and I, we're doing the sofa tour. I, we stop in Boston. We play the show. It was amazing. And we're just kind of like, let's just stop by another bar. And like, let's perform there. So we go there and we perform there. And it was clearly one of these places that like, you know, it, it's, it, um, the best way to describe it is like, there's not a lot of diversity there. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and this was, you know, somebody's first exposure to my kind of music and they were really touched by it you know and i told the story it was uh, my song not today i recorded not today in new york when i found out in september that my grandfather died and i like had this weird feeling in the beginning of the year that i needed to like connect with him but i didn't so i just like you know i had this song um, inspired by wyclef as like if it was my last day on earth i'll go back to where i came in innocent and pure um, live life to the fullest, be where I want to be. So, you know, I think that whole story and that performance touched this woman. And, mm-hmm. like, as soon as I got off the stage, she just walked up to me and, like, she shared her a similar story. She was like, I had this feeling about my grandfather dying. Yeah. And to me, that's where it gets so real, right? Because I'm just sharing what happened to me. And this person is like, oh, no, it happened to me as well. And that, like, when those moments happen, it's like, oh, like, this is beautiful. Like, I am so glad that I'm here today because I don't know where you were with that. But now it's like I'm not alone and she's not alone and we're together. And I think that ultimately that's what human beings are craving, right? It's like we want to belong. We want to know that other people can um, feel what we feel. And I think artists are the, we are the ones who are putting this out in the world. We're like, here's how I feel all the time. Yeah. And so. Um, feel through how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's that feeling of like, you know, I, 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 I'm completely inspired by artists like yourself who constantly putting yourself out there because that's what it comes down to is like, it's not rehearsed when you start to put yourself out there all the time. It becomes who you are. And I think the people who are really amazing at it just, you know, they've learned to peel all the layers and they just show up and they can just be that. They can just be right there and really connect to people and have the balance. But it's all, I think it's all um, uh, experience. Experience is the true, the true giver of that wisdom, I think. The true teacher. Yeah. 
that's what I love about, you know, this quote unquote new media environment that has grown up. Okay. Podcasts, content creators, you know, that this democratization of, of content. Yeah. Um, at least for me personally and the artists that I model myself after mm-hmm. the coin that I'm paying for, the, you know, the coin that I use to pay for people's attention mm. is genuineness. Okay. And I think that in this, in the, the modern content sphere, uh, my favorite artists are ones that are marketing themselves based on this is me. I'm mm-hmm. not putting on an air. I'm not changing my voice to sound like a different type of person. Right. Unless I'm doing it for effect. Right. But there's like this level of genuineness of like, this is who I am with all my flaws. Right. I'm going to like, you know, we all have a public persona versus a private persona. But mm. part of what's so attractive about this medium for me about podcasting, about videos, it, it's it's like saying I'm not a finished piece. Absolutely. I'm a work in progress. Absolutely. So come along with me on the journey. Yeah. And maybe I can expire, inspire you and maybe you can learn through my experience and yeah. use that to answer some of your own questions. That is that that is so powerful. I think that it's interesting that you say that because while um I'm reading this book, The Eight Paradoxes of uh, Leadership, And one of the things that they highlight in that book is this ability for leaders to, you know, either when they're authentic, like you're saying, to really be be able to make mistakes and and, and, and accept their flaws and still be respected versus the opposite, which is the leaders who don't do that don't, you know, they don't inspire people and they're not respected, even though they're like they are trying to like have a polished um, a polished view. I see myself definitely as an artist that is still in still in progress. You know. Keep going. Just keep uh, turn. No, you you stay where you're. I'm just okay. gonna turn the mic a little bit so it faces you. But keep going. Yeah, I right. see myself as an artist that is still a work in progress. I think where I get excited with the new technologies that are emerging is being able to like. I recently released an album as like a VIP pass, and that was a cool way for me to be like, hey, have an album. It's not a Grammy Award-winning album. It's just an album. I don't want to put it on Spotify for 99 cents or less. I want to give it to people in my community who know that I've been working hard at this, who want to support me and can buy into it. And that, to me, was really rewarding to be like, I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to be... um, who I don't know, Taylor Swift, for people in my community to value my music and to be able to support me and, you know, do something that I wouldn't, I don't think even two years of income on Spotify would have reached that. So thank you, Dropstation, for, for, for giving us a platform where we can do that. But to, to that point, like, you know, I, I think that it's going back to what you were saying about communication. And this is a question back at you, okay? Um, because now you've opened the floodgates about flaws, so we better talk about some flaws. <laughs> Let's dive in, baby. Let's dive in. So, so, so like, because this idea of, like, a, a, um, a public persona and a private persona, I think it's a very black and white thing. And I'm kind of one of those people that I'm always thinking about the gray area, which is, like, there's a time and place for everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't... I'm not going to start talking about, 
a very sad story at a, you know, this type of function. And it might be appropriately my story and something that might be important for people to know about me, but maybe that's not the time and place. Um, but, but I think that sometimes I find that like half of my flaw is maybe being too empathetic. So in the sense that like, I will probably ignore saying something because I'm worried about how it's going to influence or affect other people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I find that sometimes it's just, sometimes when the truth needs to be said, it just has to be uncomfortable. But I'm not good at those moments. You know, I'm not like a director like you. I don't know how to break those moments and like come in and be like, you have to know this. Or, you know, I, I like I just get I get smaller and smaller <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I, I, I like I, and I keep counting it and I'm just getting smaller in the room. And like, oh, that was the moment. Oh, you missed it. Now. You, and then I just like flawed negative, negative emotion. Why didn't you say it? Blah, 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 blah. And then I go home and I'm like, oh, my God. Blah, 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 blah. And then for a whole week, I'm introverted just mad like why you had the moment that was it so that's like one of my biggest floors what's yours <laughs> what's mine well i have a bit of that myself and this is i'm gonna answer your question with another question as we play this verbal tennis um yeah i think that you know one of the things i noticed when i moved out of my i, I come from a small town i grew up in in the north bay and is that humble? Am I no, just up in Marin, West Marin oh, County, Marin. Okay. where the Ewoks live, you know, in the redwood trees. Um, oh, nice. But when I moved to the city, when I moved to San Francisco and, and went to university, I ended up living in a house with a bunch of East Coast people. Okay. Uh, mass holes, if you will, from Massachusetts. <laughs> and I became immediately you know, aware very, uh, very quickly <laughs> about the difference in the tradition of their communication style. Mm. Here in California, we're like, everything's chill, man. No problems. Positivity. <laughs> like, no, there's no issue. Like, even when there is, right? The tendency <laughs> here is to try to maintain this uh, comfort in the social dynamic. Mm-hmm. Where we're like, no, 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 there's no problem. You know? <laughs> and then we go talk shit with our friends, right? And meanwhile, I'm, I'm encountering these new people that are like from the East Coast. And they're like, hey. I have a problem. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't care if it hurts your feelings. Mm. Let's, let's get into <laughs> it, you know? And it, right, you know, in the beginning, I got my feelings hurt a bunch of times. And I was like, you guys are being dicks. Like, this is so abrasive and aggressive. But, I, but over time, I started to come to really appreciate that dynamic of communication because whenever there was an issue, it would be sp- spoken about even if imperfectly even if i had to get through my emotions of feeling attacked right nothing would fester we'd get through it and then we'd move past it and i felt like i always knew where i stood with these individuals and we by doing that practice we were able to to get to a deeper level of intimacy with each other nice and and so you know i don't think one is better than the other i think that there's things to be learned from both traditions and so you're saying basically whenever i have any issues talk to you about it you go fight them for me there and- you go <laughs> and then uh, you know you, you come in tough and then and then you give the hug you know what i mean you come in tough then you give the hug but uh my question for you and this kind of will move us in a direction that i that i want to get to you know coming from growing up in lagos nigeria mm-hmm. coming to san francisco I'm just curious uh, when you're thinking about your methods and your traditions around communication, Mm. 
what were the differences for you, you know, growing up in a very different culture and climate and with, I'm sure, different traditions around communication and then coming to San Francisco? Can you explain a little bit about how those two cultures and, and areas differ in, in the way that people talk and connect with each other? That's a very good question. Um, there's a funny joke about Nigerians being like, a Nigerian, now that's a form rapport, will ask you something that seems obvious, like, are you talking? <laughs> <laughs> or, hey, are you eating? And you're like, clearly eating, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like, the, the, and, and, and it gets even more nuanced. So I'm Yoruba, um, and the Yoruba people um, are more of the, they're more in the southwest region. But if you were to take out the, you know, the colonial map that was drawn in 1893 and to look at the, the, the larger um, tribe of the Nigerian uh, empire, or the Yoruba empire, I should say, your vampire kind of goes a little further out of that that boundary all the way to uh, Togo, um, um, and so I, I bring being Yoruba to emphasize some of the cultural um, details I'm about to highlight. For one, you don't grow up feeling like you can say much because in my culture, and, and I don't say that like a bad thing, it's just like a social fabric. Like you generally wait till you're spoken to by the adults. And you know, when adults are speaking, the kids are not usually in the room, you know? And I think that there's something there um, when you're thinking about how you develop social cues around, you know, conversations and things like that. And all of those things won't become apparent to me until I move here, where you can see where it's done differently. And you're like, oh, you know, it's like one of the bosses I first ha had when I first moved here. He will always ask me all these questions. And like for a very long time, I wasn't sure if he was actually wanting me to answer, you know, mm -hmm. like because they're like re re rhetorical questions. So like when you do something in my household that maybe my mom or my dad doesn't approve of. They will ask you a question, but similar to them saying, are you eating? It's like you don't answer it, right? You're just like, oh, I'm sorry. Seems like whatever I did has upset you, so I'm just going to be quiet until you're done, and then I will go off, and hopefully I can escape this interaction <laughs> with no blows. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you, we, we grew up around that, and so I think that ultimately when I'm thinking about even that, that the floor I was just sharing, right? It's mm -hmm. like, generally, I'm just trying to keep the, keep the peace, you know? I'm like, yeah, throw it on me. You can be mad, but I am not allowed to be mad. Mm. You know, you can, you can be frustrated, but I will take it and digest it. And I, in like two minutes, I'll probably be dancing and we can all just forget that it happened, you know? And, and I think that it's, it's helpful um, to think about, like, what, you know, like, in my family setting, it's helpful, right? Because those are the personalities. Those are the people that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, as you come into the, the real world where you're interacting with other people, I, I've, I've had to learn to change that behavior. Um, and I've had to think about ways to, like, work around um, some of those um, habits because it's it's a habit, right? Um, it's not necessarily true. If I breathe in and breathe out, I'm like, okay, well, it's not my mom or dad in front of me. It's not, you know, it's not somebody from my Yoruba culture who would 
like translate what I say as being rude, right? Because that's also an element of it, which is like if you talk back, you're being rude. Mm -hmm. If you question the authority figure, you're being rude. So there's really very there's very little room for a fair and equitable conversation from a cultural perspective. Mm. So even even that now, right? Like even now that I've learned the difference, going back home. I found that, like, you know, my dad and I, my dad clearly is like, you're, you're a man now, so we can have conversations. And it surprises me sometimes. I'm like, oh, wow, he's going in. Like, <laughs> tell me, you yeah. know. But, but I find that my mom is the opposite. She doesn't, she doesn't want that reaction, you know. She doesn't, she, she, she's very, you know, she really expects me to be her boy. And, like, mm -hmm. she's like, I've, I did so much for you, like, you know. And, and so, again, I, even just between my parents and where I am now, I still have to play that game of constantly trying to tune to who and who I can talk to in this way. And, and, and it's, it's, it's something that is developing, but maybe that's what it is. It's like we're constantly having to evolve our way of communicating, but it completely influences my, my way of interacting and even sometimes the way that I, um, I um, understand things, right? Like, like me in a social party is like... It, I can always remember when I was like 15 or basically any party that we had on our house, we were the, the, you know, the hand. So you're not chilling. You're like making everybody comfortable. Right. You're a host. The host role. You're, yeah. yeah. You're just like, you good? You good? Everything? You know, you just, so even today, it's very hard, like for me to just like sit in one place and be like at a social thing and just like stay here and really be calm. Like my brain is just like looking what could go wrong what could be better it's it, and it's just something <laughs> that's my job <laughs> it's just innate you know it's just innate yeah. so yeah so like the culture in nigeria even though we're very exposed to the west i think is is it forces us to continue to remain like as that identity mm -hmm. because in a way even when i was coming here it was told to me like don't go there and lose your values so the first thing that somebody who's Yoruba, as soon as they see me, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to those values. I'm going to prostrate to them. I'm going to let them know that, yeah. like, you know, I'm still going to let them know, like, I didn't lose it because that's the expectation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the expectation is more important than, you know, like, I'm an accomplished whatever. You know, I can't come at them with that ever. Right. So, like, the identity and these nuances of culture continue to be at play. Don't forget where you came yeah, from. You know, yeah. so I hope I hope that gives you some insight. Yeah. Into, into into some of the ways that I've had to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I mean, thank you first for sharing that that piece with me. I'm. I've been thinking a lot lately about tradition mm -hmm. and the value of tradition, especially living in a country where we have such a melting pot pot of cultures. Mm -hmm. And especially in this current era that we're living in where culture is changing faster than we can almost keep pace with. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen a, in myself, a newfound respect for tradition, mm -hmm. for the value of tradition, for the, the accumulated wisdom that's, held, that's handed down intergenerationally. Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes as Americans, we can get so obsessed with change for change's sake mm. with the pace of change with you know 
you know, with progression, like okay. let's always be pushing, let's disrupt. Like, I mean, we live in like the center of disruption right here, right? Yeah, capitalism. And people get so excited by like, let's just change. We, we sometimes can forget that value that, you know, part of tradition can be restrictive, right? If it's out of balance. Yeah. Like you just described, maybe it's hard to break through. Like you're getting misunderstood when you go back. Like your excitement and openness that you've gained from coming to a place like this is getting misinterpreted as a lack of respect for the tradition or for yeah. your mom or for, yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's it's our duty as as intercultural personalities to figure out, okay, how do I switch so that I can communicate that respect yeah and i think Both part of that is honoring that there is this tradition exists for a reason there's a yeah. reason why this practice survived and was handed down hundreds if not thousands of years people figured out some value in it yeah and in my own life as i as i grow and as i connect with more people as i become more of like a man or whatever and i try to like sculpt my my character mm -hmm especially as I'm putting uh, myself out there, my image out there. I spend a lot of time thinking about what are my values? Mm -hmm. How do I get more clear about it? How do mm -hmm. I communicate those mm -hmm. so that people can understand uh, what I care about yeah. and who I am so we can connect if we have an alignment of values? Mm -hmm. And if we don't, if our values misalign, how do, we, how how do, do we I stay? better understand that misalignment so that I can learn from it because everybody's got a very good reason for feeling what they feel and believing what they believe. Yeah. Wow. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> that's a really good one because I, you know, I, I read a book like maybe two weeks ago called writing your personal manifesto hmm. and it, it, it put it, it, it's cool because when I was reading this book, I was like, oh, like, that's actually great. Like, you actually, like, it makes sense, you know, I, because from a leadership standpoint and an entrepreneurial standpoint, when you're leading teams, it's always, they say, you got to write all the goals, like, make sure everyone knows it. So put it everywhere, you know, stuff like that. And you're like, okay, why, right? Why? But it's for what you just said, like, there's alignment. Like, every day when I wake up and I see this manifesto that I write about myself, like, BC is this, like, it's going to, it's going to, like, focus me. Right. It's like you could wake up, but you, re you you go through your manifesto and you put it out there, mm -hmm. even even if you just put it out like people will see it and then it will resonate with you. Right. Like as an artist, that's what we're doing. Put out a song. If you feel the same, it resonates with you. But then I, I this new book that I'm reading about the eight paradoxes of leadership um, highlights it in such an interesting way. He um, went through the cycle of our generations as, you know, back in the day we had the auditory, like, I'll tell you a story, like, this, this is how we pass knowledge down. Yeah. And then we moved to where it was, like, a little bit with more technology, so people are building stools. And then now it's, like, more about your morals, right? Mm -hmm. He's saying that, like, the future is, like, you know, like we were talking about in the beginning, which is, do we want to just keep producing and having all these unintended consequences? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to become aware that we are the consciousness of the universe, right? So when we think about brands today, what are they doing? We're becoming more aware of the type of things that we want to produce or not. We want to use this versus this. This product is more sustainable versus this product. So the power of the manifesto is become 
even more like it's reinforced in my brain now which mm. is in order to do anything you want to be bringing so much intentionality into it right you want to be clearly looking for alignment and misalignment and solving for that because that's how we're probably going to get to coexistence that's probably how we're going to solve some of these problems that feel impossible to solve and that's probably how we're going to develop more technologies that will hopefully be more humane than we're developing it now so that's very powerful that you just highlighted that because i didn't realize the power of a manifesto until you just like <laughs> pr it so let me ask you a question sure so i uh, what are some of those like maybe if you were to like give me you know to write a quick manifesto but maybe do it in two sentences what would you how would you summarize you know what what it is that you're that you're standing for right that's what it is like our manifesto is like a principles principles that we stand for that we align with what do i stand for dang it's not Who a provocative knew? question at all Who um, knew that the bart the bart cast was gonna get deep right well let's go deep then um i think i'm gonna answer this question metaphorically yeah that's fine that's uh fine. but with a story okay oh that's always better <laughs> so this august uh and and then i'll try to get specific on the on the back end so there is a point coming all of you guys out there I promise <laughs> yeah just wait it's like bart so calm down exactly <laughs> yeah don't have a cow man um so this this summer in august my brother and i took a trip to guatemala okay i've been traveling uh, for the last four years, I've gone to four different Spanish-speaking countries, working on my language, and this was the first time that I brought my brother with me. Okay. I had to convince him. He was scared. He's never left the Bay. I mean, he's left the Bay, but not in a long time. Okay. And I was trying to shake him loose out of some of the practices because I saw him suffering. Okay. Uh, we come, you know, without going too deep into it, but me and my brother come from... We grew up in a broken home and there was a lot of trauma and, uh, you know, it was an abusive situation. And so a lot of our adult lives, as we've reached into being these public artists and trying to figure out what it means to be a man has come from, you know, we've had to, to look at that trauma. And so this trip was an opportunity for us to not only to bond, but also a big part of me for travel, why I travel, it's like this spiritual quest that I'm on. Part of that is looking at my own pain and my trauma. And I've gotten in the last couple of years really into, I almost call it like, it's like healing tourism, if you will. Like mm. I seek out these healing centers around the world that are these holistic places where you have healers that are congregating mm -hmm. from a variety of uh, traditions and backgrounds. And then I go and I'm like, hey, you guys are all artists and your art is healing. I'm your, I'm your canvas. Mm -hmm. Heal me, baby. You know, I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I'm diving in. And so, and I've had amazing results. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring my brother along with me this time. So we go, we go to this beautiful healing center on Lake Atitlan in Guatemala, this magical place, this Mayan hub of spiritual energy. You can feel it right when you get there. You're like, whoa, wow. there's some stuff going on in these hills. Like wow. I could feel the energy. I could feel the spirit world, like without getting too woo, just I could feel it there. 
almost like this membrane I was pushing up against. And at this healing center, there was this old woman. You know, a lot of the a lot of the healers were like these beautiful yoga girls. I do Reiki, I do massage, I teach yoga. Mm-hmm. Amazing people to be around, <laughs> right? And then there was an older uh, older lady, you know, like in her, in her forties, fifties, you know, kind of this matriarch of sorts. And my brother booked a session with her and had like this amazing conversation. So I was like, I got to experience this. Let's do it. And I sit down, we talked for a couple hours and I find out that she grew up in rural Australia. Mm. She never learned to read until she was 25. Hmm. So like, if you think about it, most of us learn to read when, when we're what, you know, I know for me, like six, five, I learned to read young. Some people later, but, but very young, I was already attaching words to ideas. Yeah. Everything was based off linguistics. Right. And I'm talking to this person who didn't get that. She, you know, when I think I'm thinking in words and sentences, she spent her first 25 years not doing that. So just imagine the way that this person's oh. making thoughts. We'd be in the middle of a conversation. And she'd be like, I just received a download from the universe. Here we go. Let's explore this. So I'm talking to her. We're in the middle of it. You know, she's doing tarot cards. She's doing, she speaks in metaphors and archetypes. And I have this thought that pops into my head. And I look at her and I say, Robin, I'd like to ask you a question if that's all right. She's like, okay, what's your question? And I look her in the eyes and I'm like, Robin, can you give me a definition of the devil? How would you define the devil? Mm. One of the key archetypes in Western civilization, right? Right. And without missing a beat, like no time at all, she looks me right in the eyes and she says, unexpressed love. That's what the devil is. And it was like, I got hit by it. You know, I was like, because it was like truth speak. In that moment, I was looking in her eyes and I realized like, this was like a direct idea straight from the heart where it, it became so clear to me that that's, it's like when you learn a new idea and it's all, there's no like, it was able to take root without me needing to filter it through intense analysis. Like, how do I feel about this? Does this make sense? You know, it was like, yeah, in that moment, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It changed my perspective. Yeah. And so when you ask me what I stand for, at this, at this moment in time, mm-hmm. in this little corner of the universe, my own, you know, avatar that I am of the spiritual, great universal energy, what am I trying to do? trying to do the work in my life as an individual and as a interdimensional finger of some greater consciousness at getting better at expressing love Hmm. and moving past my pain, the trauma that I've experienced in my life, the things that make it harder to live with an open heart. Wow. The moments where I get scared and I tighten up and I'm not able to make the person, people that I'm interacting with feel the love that I inherently have for them. Yeah. Because I love people. I love humans. Yeah. I love the animals. I love the ocean, you know. <laughs> but I get caught up sometimes in the pain or in the things that make yeah. it hard. So that's where I'm at. You wow. know, that's kind of the that was, that the was, root value is how do I get better? How do I love more? Yeah. How do that. I open my heart so that I can express this love that I feel 
you know, and 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 make other people feel it that I encounter. That's you know? really amazing. That is just beautiful. I'm so glad I asked that question. <laughs> it's one of those things, you know, because now, like, now that you say that, I know, like, no, I I love you. Like, I can say I love you on a podcast. I love because you too, man. We are so aligned, right? That is. That is um, the power of a manifesto, right? Like that is something that you are working on. That is something that you that engages your core. It is true for you, and it is amazing. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks for asking. I love so much the way that you went into that. Um, you know, admitting family. Like we 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 often can forget. Like, and the reason. I'm happy that you brought that up, right? Is that like, we can answer a lot of questions from different times in our lives. But I think there's something beautiful about going back to the origins, to like where, where that wound first came from. Because whether we know it or not, subconsciously, that, that wound, that inner child is always there. And it's usually, you know, what, what we're trying to like get through this life, kind of like healing, you know? It reminds me of this song, and I don't know, there's like a weird part of my artist's lifestyle or life where I was just always, ex- like, I just always had this thought of like, what if aliens were amongst us? And I developed that thought long enough to start to be like, we're all kind of like worlds within ourselves, right? Like, when you think about all the different things that influence us, like our childhood, how many parents you had, how many parents you didn't have, you know, even even now there's there's research on like the epigenetic effects mm-hmm. of who your parents were, right? So like we're just these worlds and 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 stories onto ourselves. But anyways, I wrote this song, so I'm gonna sing it to you because you've been using this word a lot today, and it like it's basically brought this song to my mind. And I have not sang this song in many years. Hit so, me, baby. Can you just imagine about to stroke an A minor or something. <laughs> I'm from outer space. On a journey I land on Earth. I took a human form. Thought no one, so no one will ask. Now I'm trying to understand what it is to be a man. Now I'm trying to understand what it is to be a man. <laughs> there's, there's like a verse one, and, and dude, that's <laughs> you just, you just uh, articulated what I'm trying to do in my life, man. I'm trying to understand what it is to be a man. You nailed it. You hit the nail on the... Is that one of your songs? Yeah, like, yeah. It, it's, it was never uh, recorded. Well, it probably was recorded, and it's on SoundCloud, but never released. It just was like kind of... Because, I, you know, I, I kind of have this campfire aspect of my artist expression where mm. I'm just like freestyling on the yeah. guitar and making songs up. Um, but, but yeah, I, you know... It, I think that maybe men don't talk about that journey as much of like us trying to develop to be a man. So I also just want to acknowledge that I'm really humbled by how much you've brought in this um, this perspective that we're constantly a work in progress and that we're working towards, you know, like when yeah, we're never done, right? And and I, I like that perspective because I find that a lot of times people want you to express as though 
you ne you never make another mistake in your life, right? <laughs> and and I'm always very um, worried about that because mm -hmm. I'm just like, dude, I'm probably gonna like make another mistake today. <laughs> Several actually. <laughs> so um, no, that's a great story. But that's on. that's part of I think part of part of what you just said, like part of where the confusion comes with us as men trying to understand that what what is masculinity right mm -hmm. i think the the question the the analysis the breaking it down is a feminine practice like the the feminine is the creative right is mm -hmm. the the digestion of it and for me what i'm what i've kind of come to learn about this process one of the things that makes it so hard and confusing about trying to understand what it means to be a man is that it's not something that, it, that other people can tell you. It, the masculine urge is to define it for yourself. Right. And that's what older men, when you get into a group of, of, uh, of other men who have done it, one of the things that they all tell you is like, no, you got to define it yourself. No one else can tell you what it means to be a man. You have to, tell the world what it is to be a man yeah. right like what it is to be I mean, your man. yeah we yeah. get a little we get confused we get nervous like i don't know can you tell me what it is <laughs> but but it really is you know it's the journey of you know being the the boy and your tribe says hey here's a spear That's you have to go you have to go you know hunt the cat the the the, the jaguars out there right i can't tell you how to kill the jaguar but we need to eat you right. got to go out there and you got to figure it out and you got to go through that process of taking a life and of looking it in the eyes and respecting the spirit. And then you got to bring it back and you got to, you got to, you'll be celebrated, but nobody else can do this. You have to figure yeah. that out for the yourself. The rite of passage, you know? I feel. Can yeah. we pause? Sure. We, we and we're back. All right. So. BC, what's up? We've danced, we've climbed the mountain, we've danced among the cosmos, we've dove into the depths <laughs> that is the pool of our ancestors. This is true. And you know, about an hour in, I think now is a good time. <laughs> uh, you know that we introduce you to the audience. Uh, BC, the man, the legend. Uh, your audience, which is much larger than mine, knows who you are. But for my smaller audience and for those out there that, that have not heard this yet, can you please just, for me, give me a picture of when you think about yourself as an artist and as an individual, how do you define what it is that you offer into the universe? What is this mission that you're on? How do you describe your art to people? Let's dive in. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I am no legend. <laughs> um, I, you know, I stand on the shoulders of a lot of a lot of people who I will describe as such. Um, I, I've, I've always considered myself a bringer of joy. I've always thought about capturing music. I think I, I think music came to me because at the time I didn't have a lot of words. You know, like mm -hmm. we were expressing earlier, it's like they're they're very 
the very few um yeah it, it was it was very hard to emote back in the day so i wrote poetry and you know luckily i found i i always say that my work as a fusion and a world music artist is just learning and bringing these cultures that i interact with to be the intersection of movement philosophy and positive transformation um, and in, in that mission statement lies bringing people together with sound, sharing our collective pain. Um, my first album was called The Church of Experience, singing, sharing our humanity with each other under the space of music, and then using that healing to collaborate and, and, and go back into the world and transform. And that could be personal, that could be um, collective. Um, and so I say that to mean that I like making music that people can dance to. I like making music that people can sing along to. And I like making music that speaks to or that gives voice to the voiceless. Mm. And when I think about my music, that is usually where I'm coming from. It's one of those spaces. Um, how do you describe uh, for someone that's never heard your music before? Like, how would you describe the kind of music that you make to them? Like, what, what's what's your genre? Or what's your? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, again, it's always changing. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started, I was covering a lot of pop songs and reggae. Okay. Um, you know, Tim Balajadaya, Bob Marley. Those were the those were the first the first tracks that I. Um, that I started on, you know, and um, and then over the years, I I learned more guitar, and I met other people who were really amazing guitarists who uh, helped me um, improve my skills, and I did more compositions in the rock and roll area with my bandmate Joshua Smith and that project was called BC and the Moonwalker and it was like a very huge range of fusion um, and once I peeled back out to be on my own again it started to get more into the direction of um, more in the direction of um, Afro beats Afro pop Afro soul and um, in working with Gavin Hardkiss, we were able to really come away with that. And that just started to feel better for me as an artist because I, I loved touring so far sound and telling people the story. But what started happening was that I was always looking to be the last person to perform so I can get people to like stand up and dance. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that dancing and people just pouring themselves into the music is a better compliment because I can just see it, right? I can just see them lost in it. And so that's where I'm at right now. And every once in a while when I pick up Ableton to try and write a song, I will always kind of randomly make a drum and bass section. Mm -hmm. so, but it's never been released so far. So, <laughs> but I just want you, go, you guys to know that, right that sometimes I will have a drum and bass section, no matter how beautiful and melodic um, whatever I'm writing is. Can I ask you an Afrobeat question? Yeah. So I came into Afrobeat via Fela Kuti. 
Okay, yeah, that is correct. Uh, that is Afrobeat. Mm-hmm. Where I'm sure as like a Nigerian music musician, you get people here, you're from Nigeria, at least myself, like I think of Fela. He's like such yeah. a big artist, right? I love Fela Kuti. I'm curious because when I hear that term in the in the contemporary scene, it's a lot different of a sound. Yeah, absolutely. It's le- kind of less of a rootsy thing and more of an electronic thing. Absolutely. And when did that shift happen or in your in your understanding, like, yeah, uh, what was big... that that... Where did the, like, what would you call, like, the kind of classic Afrobeat stuff in the contemporary sense? Is there a difference in how it's described these days? Yeah, absolutely. I think the Afrobeats is not even a genre, whereas Afrobeat is, right? So, Felakuti, 60s, Afrobeat, the polyphonic, mm-hmm. big band, polyrhythmic section, it's a fusion of jazz. Like, that is a genre. Afrobeats is more of a popular culture reference to the fusion of the different African sounds because of the technology, like you rightfully said. So that's more of a 2000s thing, mm. and it's not describing a genre because there's still Soku and uh, Mondial. Like, there's still, you know, all of these African genres that are very specific to places in Africa, but Afrobeats kind of has become like. Uh, this um, it's it's more about describing the technology as a way that's united, kind of you know it's almost mm-hmm. like the the technology allowed us to build something else. So now we're calling that umbrella term Afrobeats. You know, awesome. Yeah. So it's the S that's the difference. It's just, it, yeah, you, okay. you you take out the S and yeah. we're in a genre that we can timeline with Felakuti. And yeah. you put the S, and now we're in the Wild West, where it's everyone yeah. who is making something for the West to hear yeah. with electronic music. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because yeah. like uh, Afrobeat, I'm kind of <laughs> old school. You know, I love like the old rootsy kind of. Yeah, I love that about you. Like walking into your pad, I was like, yeah. this guy is <laughs> setting yeah, the setting the tone. The tradition, you know? Yeah, and uh, and so and, and you know I, and. You know, my brother used to play in, a, in an Afrobeat band and my friends in this band Lagos Roots, which is a Bay Area Afrobeat band. But I always wondered because I remember going, you ever go to Baobab, Cafe yeah, Baobab? I, they, they give 10% off to my VIP pass holders. Awesome. Yeah. yeah so like <laughs> when I was in my you know mid-20s going to SF State, I'd go out to Baobab a lot, funk Ooh. night, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I remember going out and being like, all right, Afrobeats, like Fela. And then I got there and it was like much more of a contemporary scene, which was still awesome and cool. But I was always wondering, like, uh, just so I can be more precise in my language, you know, when, when one yeah. becomes the other. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. No, it's a very valid question. And I think, you know, I know the answer because I also had to look it up, right? Mm. Because I was like, this this is weird. Why are we using the same word? Like, can't, yeah. we, be more, can't we be more creative? Hell yeah. And um, yeah, it's one of those those things where, you know, it just became popular culture. And so now it's just, it's almost, it's it's after the fact, right? So yeah. we're, we're, we're defining it after the fact. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, BC, dude, thanks so much for coming on my show. I am so excited. I really excited. appreciate it. This was amazing. This is one of my favorite episodes I've done. I'm telling you, we went, We you, you said something before we started. You're like, I'm creating a space for magic to happen i think it just like you yeah you brought up a lot of insight and you shared yourself which i think often doing these type of podcasts you don't get 
you know that that type of like kind of shelling and mm-hmm. like getting into into some 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 deep stuff even as so I'm I'm really stoked because I'm sure that my audience would love this because I don't think they've heard it, some of these things mm. from me and I think they'll love it in getting to know you and and some of the things that you pay attention to as a creator and just your your manifesto. We even know each other's manifesto now. Yeah, bro. bro. Dude, I mean, that's <laughs> you just described the art with the art is for me, right? Like when I say, I think podcast just like Afrobeats is this umbrella term. Mm-hmm. And you know, we opened this conversation with communication, and to me, it's this very specific form of communication in the way that I think about it. And when I'm trying to describe what I do as an artist and I use a term like podcast, people have all these ideas because there's so many different types of podcasts. Yeah. And so for me, you know, it is this kind of like alchemical process of the two of us going, getting safe enough and vulnerable enough to go to a place that's really deep Yeah. and doing it, you know, in the content sphere, giving people a window into what genuine connection looks like giving examples of what that looks like between artists and thank you for showing up it only works if you bring your genuine self thank you which you you did today as well and uh so i think i want to end it with with a special thing which was the first thing i don't know if you remember when i asked you to come on my podcast Mm -hmm. the first thing you said to me was well are we gonna do hot sauce (laughs) so bc my friend for coming on my show, <laughs> I brought you, I have a gift for you, which Aww. is my favorite hot sauce in the whole world. This is Marie Sharp's. It's this woman. Marie Sharp is from Belize. Oh, wow. My family has a very, Belize is very important in my family history. My mom and my stepdad met there. Mm-hmm. They were both leading trips of students. They met on this island and fell in love. And when our families combined, uh, they were doing these trips every year and they would always bring back hot sauce. And our family became addicted to this hot sauce. This wow. is why I can eat spicy food because we put it on everything. Wow. It's the most delicious hot sauce I've found. I am so grateful. So I give wow. it now to you, my friend. Wow. Wow. You remembered. It's <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, now the journey continues. The journey continues. I can't wait for you to get addicted like I am. Thank you. I, I already have one hot sauce, which is also habanero sauce. And if this is the best one, then... I, I think it's only fair for me to kind of join, jump on the train and be just as addicted to this one. Um, I owe you one, though. Um, I shouldn't say I owe you one. Sorry. I'm no, no. So, here, I'm so grateful. Here's what you got to do. The next <laughs> time you go home to Nigeria. Okay. You find the one there. Oh, you you want I one want that's the real local. Deal. You, you're like, don't give me no trader. Okay, deal. I want to experience... What you guys, you know, what what you guys have in your culture. Atarodo is not easy, my friend, but you asked for it, so I will bring it for you. But thank you for this. This is really awesome. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. how can people find you? Yeah. Um, so right now I've just launched the second. Um, I mean, guys, you know, not everybody who's hosting a podcast brings your gift. So please forgive me for being so excited <laughs> and just in awe of this man right now. Um, so I am, I've launched a new VIP pass, which is so incredible that JobStation has provided me this avenue to be able to provide value to my community where whenever I'm performing, you can come in as a VIP. You can bring a friend. 
you know, you get a, my album that has not been released anywhere else. And all of this is packaged into a pass mm. that you can get on my website today. Okay. That's very rare. A lot of artists only rely on releasing things to streaming or bands in town just for the album. But to yeah. be able to package something, a product that artists really love is super, super, super special. Can you expand on that a little bit? I've just never heard of this Yeah, thing I before. mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's more in the Web3 space. Okay. And being able to provide passes um, is a way of thinking about uh, non-fungible tokens as, um, as, an, as, as an asset, right? So when you own this asset, you can show it and it's verified, right? I think it's, diff- it's, it's like having a ticket you know, to a plane. And mm-hmm. as soon as you download the, the ticket, it shows, yeah, this person has paid and you can scan that QR code. Okay. It works in the same way. So you go on the website, you buy this thing, and then you create your account, and now it's in your wallet. So anytime I'm, you're at a show, you can just show it and they, they can see it. It's not like a fake thing. They mm-hmm. can see it's a verified QR code. And so that's one of the, the you know, the the exciting things about the technology and what it's going to allow us to be able to do when things are built on the chain. It's easy to verify identity. It's easy to verify ownership. And so that's how this has been able to, to come to my, um, to my fans. And, and I hope that people can support in this way because it's, it's really like giving an artist an opportunity to do what they love doing in yeah. a way that they can do it, not 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 struggling especially when you live in a town like this yeah is the pass itself the nft or do they purchase an nft that comes with the pass basically um we're just not calling it an nft because i think that that word confuses people Mm -hmm. right because yeah yeah, you're just like what is this thing but the 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 reality is that an nft is just like when you buy a house right the bank buys it your house is always a an asset, but it's not a liquid asset, right? Mm. That's what an NFT is. It's mm-hmm. something that is valuable, mm-hmm. but it's not like money. It's it's just the opposite of mm-hmm. that. It's so the value is these things: the the pass, the ba- being able to bring a friend, access, access. Okay, that's the value. And so I think if I take out that word, it's easier to explain just the value and and what it does to people. And so I hope to I hope to see some of you as part of my community because yeah. it's really been special. And um, I'm at busybc b u s y b i s i dot com. And uh, if you find me on social media, Instagram is the one I use the most. B i s i m u s i c b c music. I kind of do a lot of my community engagement on there, and I've got some subscribers where I focus on kind of artist development stuff. So I try to give artists some tools that I've learned from my years of going to the DIY music uh, conference uh, by CD Baby. And um, and yeah, and then I have a platform that I use to communicate with my um, uh, past holders, uh, which they get access to a few very private events uh, through the year. Awesome. Yeah. And that's all through your website? All through my website. Okay. I'm on all the platforms, so um, you can check it out, too, at BISI and um, on all the platforms. But well, if you go well, to my Bissy, website, yeah. One of the things I love about this art is, you know, I feel like doing a podcast with someone is a great way to start and build a friendship. Yeah. Just like you said earlier, I love you, man. Thank you for coming on. Love you too, bro. I'm stoked to have a new friend. Let's do it. uh, (laughs) We love all you out there. Thank you for watching and tuning in. Check out BC. Uh, And until the next time, man.
Ciao, ciao.